Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise.
beautiful sun. Today we're going to talk about the fatal word that will do millions. I'd like you to take the Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. This word is used in this conversation that Moses, the man of God, had with Pharaoh. Most likely this Pharaoh was Tutmosis III. So here you have the meeting of the two Moses. Uh, the page, if you're wondering, it's uh, page 44. Page 45, I think. Exodus 8, verses 8 to 10, dear people. This is the story of the exodus of the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. And before these people were delivered from the land of Egypt, God sent upon the land of the Egyptians ten awful plagues. And this is the story of Moses talking to Pharaoh. Verses 8 and onwards. Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and from my people. And I will let your people go to offer sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time. Now, I want you to notice those words. I leave to you the honor of setting the time. I don't want you to ever forget those words because God leaves to you today the honor of setting the time. I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh replied. That is the fatal word. The fatal word that will do millions is the word tomorrow. You know why? Because we have today, but we do not have tomorrow. And this was the attitude of Pharaoh, not only Pharaoh back there, but many people today. Pharaoh hoped and hoped that something would happen in the interval so that he would not need to obey God. The place was being ravaged. And Moses said, I give you the honor of setting the time. That's what God does to every person. God is not a dictator. God gives to every one of us the honor of setting the hour of our deliverance. Did you hear this? God gives to every person the honor of setting the hour of his deliverance. And Moses did what most people do today. Moses said, it sounds pretty good to me. He said, I'll do it tomorrow. Notice verse 15. It gives you the results of his procrastination. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. That's an interesting thing, because you and I in these meetings have spoken about the unpardonable sin. And the unpardonable sin is caused by continual rejection of the voice of God to our hearts. And the Bible says, the man who said tomorrow was the man whose heart was hardened. We're going to talk about that a little later on. Tomorrow is the fatal word that is going to doom more people than anything else because it is the day we do not have. I have discovered from my reading of the Bible 
and from my association with tens of thousands of people, that there are many reasons, or perhaps better, excuses that people give for saying tomorrow. Very few people will say outright, no, I will not obey God and His Word. Very few people would say that. But most people will say, I will do it at a more opportune time, like Pharaoh, I will do it tomorrow. And the Bible tells us, making excuses is something which is not new. It is an old phenomenon. I want you to come to Luke 14, verses 6 to 12, please. Luke chapter 14, and I want to congratulate you on being such a wonderful audience and how you turn to these passages. Luke chapter 14 and uh, verse 6 and onwards. And the Bibles are in the, in the pews, and if we should run out of Bibles, if you ask the ushers, they will be very pleased and honored to get you one. Page 739, Luke chapter 14, verse 16 and onwards. Let me clarify something at this stage before we go any further, because this may be something that I haven't made very plain on previous occasions. When we talk about accepting Jesus, we're talking about accepting Jesus and everything Jesus stands for. You cannot separate Jesus from the truth. Some people say, I will accept Jesus, but I don't want to accept his truth. But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And when I say I'm accepting Jesus, it is an implication that I'm saying I'm accepting Jesus and everything he stands for. It's like accepting the American flag. It is very hard for me to say I accept the American flag if I am a communist because communism is the very antithesis of what the American flag stands for. When I accept Jesus Christ, it means that I'm going to accept the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and his teachings and his commandments. Now, I want you to notice some of the reasons that people have been giving down through the ages. Luke chapter 14 and verse 16 and onwards. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited how many guests? Uh, what is this banquet? This banquet is, is the gospel invitation. Whenever God talks about the gospel, or often when Jesus talks about the gospel, he talks about it in the context of people having a banquet or a party. This is why the religious leaders of his day found Jesus to be such an obnoxious revolutionary, because Jesus said, uh, I love parties, and Jesus went to parties, and Jesus had fun at parties, and Jesus used banquets and parties as symbolic of the gospel. Why is the gospel symbolized by a banquet? Because the gospel will give you the greatest time that you've ever had. It's going to give you joy, it's going to give you peace, it's going to give you your happiness now, and one day it's going to give you everlasting life. And so the Bible says, don't, don't you think for one moment that when you truly embrace all the teachings of the Bible, that God is taking something from you. God never took from you anything that's worth keeping. So the Bible says that this man prepares a great banquet. He invited many guests. 
At the time of the banquet, he set his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a, a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now listen to this. Every person is given an invitation to the banquet. The Bible tells us that God has prepared a banquet and God sends a message to the world and the message is, come in and take your fill. But the Bible says this, if I do not respond to the invitation of the master to come into the banquet and to take my fill, God is going to fill it up with somebody else. Did you get this? People say, well, I can wait and wait and wait and I'll tell the master that I'm going to come tomorrow. No, the Lord says, don't tell me that you're going to come tomorrow. I'm going to get somebody else who's going to come in and take your place. So this is a truth I want you to know. Salvation is not always available. People say, but that isn't true. I can, I can repent. I can come to Christ just whenever I decide to do. No, you can't. You can only come when God gives you the invitation. And if you don't accept the invitation, and if I don't accept the invitation, I want to tell you, my brother, my sister, God is going to take your invitation and he's going to give it to somebody else, but God is going to have his house filled. Now people have, have been making all of these excuses. One man said here, I bought some oxen. I've got to go and look at them. I've just taken on a new business deal. Another man said, I've just gone into the real estate business. Another man says, the elections are on and I've got to get out on the campaign trail. And another man says, I've just got married and therefore I can't come. All, not reasons, I would think, but excuses. I want to talk about the most common excuse for saying tomorrow to God. Because Jesus puts a bit of weight upon it here. He talks about business. Did you know that probably the most common reason or excuse that people give for not accepting Jesus and his truth and keeping his commandments and getting baptized and keeping the Sabbath and all of these glorious truths is because they say, hey, if I do those things, it's going to hurt me financially. They say, it's going to hurt my business, and I would be a Christian, and I would follow Christ, and I would follow the Bible, and I will do it, but I'll do it tomorrow, but I can't do it today because it's going to hurt my business. I want to tell you today, listen carefully. God will bless the man or the woman who puts him first. 
And whatever you lose, God is going to make up for you. But God won't do it until you are prepared to walk out in the water and get your feet wet. You've got to have some faith in this business. If you're going to wait for God to remove all the obstacles before you obey God, I can tell you right now, you're never going to obey God. And while you're just procrastinating, God is going to give the invitation to somebody else and the house is going to be filled up. I want you to come over here to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 28 and onwards, dear people. Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 and onwards, it's page 685. And here Jesus gives us some superlative promises that warm our hearts and that give us courage. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 28 and onwards, page 685. Jesus said, now I want you to do this please, not for my sake, but for your own heart's sake. It's going to warm your heart. I want you to read verse 28 right down to verse 33 and I want you to read it out loud and I want you to let the words sink down into the molecules of your minds. Verse 28 together. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Listen, my friend, listen to this, please. God is interested in you as an individual. And God says that if you seek him first, and if you seek the kingdom of God and make it number one priority in, in your life, God will bless you and all these other things are going to be added to you. I, I, I believe that many of you here today don't believe this. God says that if you make him number one and if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God says all these other things are going to be added to you. But you've got to have faith. And if you sit here today and you say, yes, I'm going to obey God. I believe this is true. I'm going to keep the commandments. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to follow Christ when God provides me with what I need. You'll never do it. Because these things are dependent upon faith. God says, seek first the kingdom of God. Some time ago, when I was in the great city of Hong Kong, I noticed that lots of people there were wearing shirts that had a little crocodile emblem. Have you ever seen the crocodile shirts? Mm -hmm. Put up your hands if you've seen the crocodile shirts. I've only ever seen them. They're too expensive for me to buy. <laughs> um, I went to one of these shops in Hong Kong and I noticed it said, Closed Sunset Friday. Opens Sunset Saturday. And so I made some inquiries and I discovered that this was a Christian Chinese brother who believed in putting God first and he kept the Sabbath. Now people said to him, but you can't be successful because the competition will run all over you. I want to tell you, his company has run over all of those. 
He's not a millionaire. He's a multi-billionaire. God has put him first because the crocodile man put God first. So don't come and tell me that God can't bless you. God will bless you, but you need to have faith. And you need to have faith in God so that you're going to obey God. Because the promises of God we discovered last week are not given to the faithless. The promises of God are given to those who have faith and those who obey God. I want you to come to Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. Philippians chapter 4 and uh, it is verse 19. Dear hearts and gentle people, it is page 832. Come on, read it with conviction. Verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you the story of the great red dragon. When I was a young man going through college in Australia, Avondale College, my parents had no money to support me and in those days, thanks be to God, we didn't have government handouts. Pardon my saying that. But you appreciate what you work for. And what you get given on the whole, you don't appreciate. That is a fact of life. And that is turning us as, as a, a group here in this part of the world into a nation of beggars. And when a person becomes a beggar, he loses his manhood or his womanhood. I believe in standing on my own two feet. And I believe in working for what I get. And I believe that this is how God wants it. Now, I know this goes against the grain of many people, but I believe it's a Bible teaching. The Bible teaches, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. The Bible says those exact words. And I believe a lot of people would work a lot harder if they knew that they were going to have empty stomachs. Because that would get them working. You say, but that's a radical idea. No, that's the Bible idea. And that's what America stands for. That's why this nation was raised up to be a nation not of beggars, but a nation of strong people who are independent and knew how to work. Can you say amen to that? Mm, that's good. I'm not running for governor of this state either. <laughs> but I believe that. That's a part of my theology. It's a part of my religion and it's my lifestyle. When I was going through college, I came to my last year and I, I had no money at all for for fees, but my father decided that he would let me take his motorbike. He had a large red Harley Davidson motorbike, a very large motorbike. I remember on some occasions I fell off it and it tipped over. It weighed about 700 pounds. It's a heavy bike to get standing up. I went on what I would think was the greatest adventure in faith that I have ever experienced since that day to this day. I went into the outback of Australia and I went from door to door selling Christian literature. If you think it's easy, try it sometime. And I would go from farm to farm and from station to station. A station is an Australian term for a ranch. And that was an experience I'll never, never forget. Because I was on my own and I was by myself with God. I had nowhere to stay in the evenings, nowhere at all. There were no motels and no hotels because this was the outer Baku where the churches were few and men of religion were scanty. <laughs> it's a great poem about that. On a path seldom crossed, save by folks that are lost, one McGuinness McGee had a shanty. I won't tell you the story of McGuinness McGee. It's a great story. It's called a bush christening. 
But about seven or eight o'clock every evening when the sun was still high in the sky, I would pray to God that he would get me a place to stay. Every night for month after month, God found me a place to stay and I wasn't sleeping in a shed. About nine o'clock, I would go to a place and the farmer would say, uh, would you like to stay with us? Would you like to eat with us? I was a skinny student and during that time of selling those books in the outback, I put on 16 pounds. <laughs> God bless me. If you want to put on weight, obey the word. <laughs> now listen. I want to tell you an experience you can laugh at. It is true. If I never move from this part, it is true. I am absolutely useless using tools. I am. I hate working. I've got to have cars that run well because if anything goes wrong, that's it. I mean that. Mm -hmm. So I believe in vehicles that run by themselves. Uh, they, that's what... I need. Now, this Harley Davidson was certainly not a new machine. It was pretty old. It's like the song, The Old Grey Mare, She Ain't What She Used To Be. And that old motorbike was not what she used to be. And as I was going along a dirt road in the outback, uh, I heard a noise. And I stopped the bike. I was miles from anywhere and everywhere. And when I got off the Harley, when I put it on its stand, and I walked around the bike wondering what the noise was. You can laugh at this. I believe that this happened. I was a poor student. I was down on, on the bottom line. I was there by myself having a great time. And when I went and looked at the back wheel, there was a long nail, big rusty nail sticking right through the wheel, through the tire. Now the only way that you could change a tire on a Harley Davidson was to take the, the chain off, the sprocket off. To me, that would be the equivalent of going to the other side of Mars. <laughs> it is possible, but not likely. <laughs> so. I did the next best thing. I did the best thing. I said, God, I can never get this fixed. I don't have any tools. I never carried tools because that would save the temptation to use them. I said, now, I have no tools, God, and I'm a long way from nowhere. Please take care of this. So I got my hands and I wiggled the nail back and forth. This was not a tubeless tire. They didn't have those things. It had a tube inside. I wiggled the nail and I got down on the ground in the dust and I prayed that God would keep the tire up. And then I got on the bike and I continued. The tire stayed up forever. Never went down. Never went down. Never went down. Well, you say it never went through. Well, maybe it didn't. But I saw it. God will supply your needs. God won't do that when you can call on AAA. No, he's not going to do that. God has what he calls the economy, or what we call the economy of miracles. Uh, they said, Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Jesus won't roll away a stone in your life if you can roll it away yourself. Don't expect God to do one thing for you that you can do for yourself. Don't get down on your knees and say, uh, God send me some money if you can go and earn it yourself. God will never roll away the stone for you that you can roll away when you can do it. But when you've reached your limit and you've done everything you can do, then you can believe that God will do for you what you cannot do. And the Bible says, God will supply all your needs. So, uh, you know, when people come to me and they say, I couldn't keep the Sabbath, it's going to hurt my business. I, I couldn't be a Christian. I couldn't tithe. I say to you, you need to have faith in God. Don't say tomorrow because of fear of failure. Say yes because of your trust in God. That's what I say to you. Another reason or another excuse people give why they don't obey God and why they keep procrastinating, and this is true with all of us, and even though it's sad, and maybe we ought to be ashamed of it, we're only human beings and God understands, but one of the main reasons people do not obey God is because they are more concerned about what people are going to say about them. They do not want to be considered strange or unusual. Matthew chapter 10. Come over here to this verse. Matthew 10, verse 32 and onwards. Matthew chapter 10. It's page 688 and it's music to my ears to hear you turning the text. And what a great audience you are. 688, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and onwards. Jesus said, you ready? Come on folks, 688. Matthew 10, verse 32, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You say, that's a text I never knew was in the Bible. What does it mean? It means that there is a conflict between truth and error, between light and darkness. And often when a person steps out by faith and accepts Jesus, even the closest in this world will, will misunderstand him and persecute him. But Jesus said, I will be with you. And if you honor me before men, I'll honor you before the Father. But if you dishonor me before men, I'll dishonor you before the Father. And so Jesus tells us, do what is right, even though people may laugh at you, because I want you to do what I tell you to do, not what other people tell you to do. Read on a little further, verse 37 to 39. Please notice this, 37 to 39. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever loses his life, will, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen. You throw your life away for the world and it's gone forever. 
You throw your life away for the world, my friend, I'm telling you, it's gone forever. But throw your life away for God and you truly find it. The only way that you can find yourself is when you find yourself in God. And I want to tell you, if there are people here today, you are concerned about your husbands and your wives and your children, I want to tell you this, if you love them, as I know you do, and if you want them in the kingdom of God, then make up your own mind today to accept Jesus and follow his word, because your loving example may be the only sermon they're ever going to hear. Did you hear this? People say, people say, well, I'm just going to wait and wait and wait, and if I wait long enough, my loved ones are going to do it too, and we'll all do it together. My friend, while you wait, you may lose the conviction to do it yourself. That's what the Bible talks about. I want to tell you another story. I tell you some of these stories because these, these things have happened to me, and I'm not talking just hot air. We're not just verbalizing. I want to, I'm talking about things that I know are true. And I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not going to do myself, by God's grace. I came from a home that for a long time was hell. My father was a complete unbeliever. My father belonged to the biggest church in the world, but he was a complete unbeliever. And he would curse and swear, and I've seen him so angry with us because we were going to church that he would break the furniture, wreck the furniture, curse, swear. When my mother first heard this message, and, and, and I, I want you to know, I know it, it's a different message, this is different, because it's God's. People say, but it is so different. It calls upon people to get baptized, absolutely, because Jesus was. It calls upon people to keep the Sabbath, yes it does, absolutely. And the greatness of this message is its uniqueness. It's because it's the truth. It's the truth. When my mother first heard this message, my father gave her hell. I was only a small boy. And he said, I hate it and I hate you and I'm going to do everything to stop you. But my mother had courage. And she said, whatever happens to me, I plan to follow Christ. And she did so. And I want to tell you folks, for a long time things didn't get better. Things got worse. Things got worse. But I want to tell you, because my mother said yes to God and didn't say tomorrow, I said yes to God when I was a teenager. Because I said yes to God, I preached the sermon that my father responded to. I preached the sermon and made the appeal and saw my own father stand up and saw my own father get baptized. Mm -hmm. If my father, if my mother had said no, I would have said no because I would have looked to her. And my father would not have been in the kingdom. My father is going to be in the resurrection. I helped to officiate at his funeral. He's going to be in the resurrection because a little mother had the courage to say yes to God. 
If you want your loved one saved, then get saved yourself. Mm -hmm. There's another reason. There's another reason that people say tomorrow. That's found in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. That's the epistle of John. And uh, it is page, let me see, it's page 862. 862. 1 John. And it's page 862. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15 and onwards. 862. Left hand page. And it is the right hand column. Page 862. The Bible says, do not love the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is he talking about? Is he talking about the glories of nature? No, he's talking about the world system. He's talking about the world system of fraud and dishonesty and all of those crooked things. He's talking about the all-pervasive crookedness of the world with lots of the so-called pleasures of the world. Now, verse 16, it says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I want to expose one of the greatest lies. I want to talk to the young people. Satan comes and says to you, if you follow Jesus and if you keep his commandments and if you step out by faith and if you go all the way with God, you're going to give up so much, you're going to be so unhappy. Look what you're going to give up. You can't have a good time and be a true committed follower of Jesus. That is a dirty lie that came out of hell. The happiest people in this world are people who know Christ and who follow him and who obey his word. And I have met thousands and thousands of them. The great, the great Roman Catholic theologian St. Augustine said, it's a great statement he said, and he said it in Latin, but the English version is like this, our souls were made for God and they cannot rest until they rest in him. St. Augustine, before he was converted, was an utterly profligate young man. He was a promiscuous young man. He was a profligate. But he had no peace in his soul. Have you ever wondered and asked yourself the question, why is it that so many of the so-called beautiful people are so torn and so mixed up and so many of them suicide? It is because peace and joy and contentment are for God's children. That's a part of the covenant and we spoke about it last week. Our souls were made for God. Man is restless without God. And the happiest people are the people who know God. I know it is true. Last year, I made an announcement. All the people that I'd baptized in Russia, those thousands of communists, I said, we want to hire a boat. And we want to go downstream on the Volga. And we want to have some Christian fellowship. I've only seen you from a distance. 
When you have 10, 20,000 people there, you don't get to know people personally. So we decided to hire a large boat. We couldn't take them on one boat. We had to hire three. Mm -hmm. So many people. And uh, when I went down to the river bank, uh, thank you, Stephen. When I went down to the river bank, I couldn't approach the boat. Beverly and I went there with some members of our team because there were so many thousands of people with shining faces. <laughs> They had to get us a bodyguard of soldiers to get us through the crowd so we wouldn't get trampled by people who wanted simply to come and say, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. An old ex-communist leader of, of, the, uh, of the Russian youth looked just like Lenin with his beard. He came up to me, uh, couldn't speak a word of English, and I spoke to him through a translator. He said, I was the leader of the communist youth. He said, I had no peace. He said, I lived in fear, had no peace. He said, for the first time, I have peace, I have joy, I've got happiness. I've heard it from the lips of thousands of people. I've heard the wail of people who not, do not know God. I've heard that wail in Russia, and I've seen it on the streets of Los Angeles. I've seen it not only in the ghettos, but I've seen it in the homes of affluent people who cover it with a severe, uh, with a, uh, with some veneer of sophistication. But whether you're a communist, or whether you're a druggie, or whether you're a millionaire living here in this country, without Christ you won't have peace. But some people say, well I'm just going to have a good time, then I'll become a Christian. I say, become a Christian and start having a good time. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and may have it to the full. Now, I want to tell you why it is so dangerous to delay. There are three reasons. Now, I've given you the excuses, some excuses, why some of you may be delaying. But let me tell you why it's dangerous. Three reasons. Number one. We're living in the last days, and I showed you over there in the Pasadena Civic Center that before Jesus comes, the door of mercy closes for the human race. We are not just living at any time in the history of the world, we're living at closing time. I want you to come over to Amos chapter 8. Come over here to this little prophet in the Old Testament, a little prophet with a big, big message. Amos chapter 8, it is page 652. 652. Left-hand page, left-hand column. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. That's Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, page 652. The day is coming when the Lord is going to say, Enough is enough, and the door of mercy is going to close for the human race. And so for the man who is sitting here in this church today, and he says, I have all the time in the world, and I will do it when it suits me. I have a message for you. You will do it when it suits God. And it suits God today, not tomorrow. So the first reason we should not delay is because of the coming famine, the spiritual famine, which is coming. The second reason is because of the 
possibility of committing the unpardonable sin. Come to Acts 24. Acts 24. It's page 792. The first reason, because of the coming famine, spiritual famine, and the second reason, because of the possibility and the probability of sinning against God by hardening our hearts. Page 792, left-hand page, left-hand column, verse 24. 792, turn to the passages. This is the word of God. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Can I tell you? Can I tell you something? This man never came to God. You know why? Because it was never convenient. Now, I want to talk to you from my heart. If you're sitting here today and you say, yes, I know what you've been teaching. I know it's true. But I also know it's convenient. Therefore, I've just got to take my chance, my friend. It's a terrible chance to take. Here is a man who took his chance. He said, when it's convenient, I'll call for you. But he never called for him because it never became convenient. I believe he hardened his heart and committed the unpardonable sin. Come over here to Hebrews chapter 3. That's why the Bible never says do it tomorrow. That's why it always says do it today. Hebrews 3, page 847. We believe this was most likely written by Paul. It's his theology. 847, even though the name is not in the book. Page 847, Hebrews 3 and verse 7. Left-hand page, left-hand column, page 847. Warnings against unbelief. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the Bible says, Today. I say, are you, am I coming through? Are you listening to me? The man who knows the truth, the man who has heard this message, I know that there are people who have heard it for years, their families accept it, but they say, no, 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 and their hearts become harder and harder. So the Bible says don't do it because of, don't, don't put it off, don't put it off because of the coming famine. And number two, because while you put it off, you may commit the unpardonable sin. And there is a third reason. And that is found in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And that is page 856. 856. James chapter 4. Verse 13 and 14. 856. Left hand page and the left hand column. Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow... We will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while 
and then vanishes. The Bible says don't count on tomorrow. Don't even count on today. Count on now. Don't count on this afternoon. Come to one other passage, Proverbs 27, verse 1. Proverbs 27 and verse 1. And here is the message of the Lord to your heart and to mine. Page 468. 468. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. The Bible says, 468. Proverbs 27, verse 1. You got it? 468. Do, read it with me, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. God says, don't do it tomorrow. God says, do it today. I'm going to ask you in a moment to make a commitment. I do it because it is my responsibility. I want to read you a little poem here, and boy, what a message this poem has got. It's about a leper in the days of Jesus who felt called to go and see Jesus and get healed. But he did like a lot of people do. He went to see Jesus. But listen to the poem. A leper sat beside a cave in Upper Galilee. His form was wasted and his grief was pitiful to see. No future stretched inviting arms his hopes were for release, for quiet in the mossy tomb and rest of dreamless peace. Of late uneasy were his thoughts, hope reared his weary head. One who could heal the leprosy lived south, so rumor said. Some told of demons exercised, some said he raised the dead and changed some water into wine and multiplied the bread. Soon I will rise and go to him and see what can be seen. Perhaps he'll see my hopeless state. Perhaps he'll make me clean. With languor, he began to plan to put away his sorrow. He'd say, as every morning dawned, I'm tired. I'll go tomorrow. But days and weeks and months passed by. His eyes were growing dim. He knew that he must haste to Christ or death would haste to him. His journey was a painful drag and as its end drew nigh he saw three crosses etched in black against a darkening sky. Boast not thyself about tomorrow. Now I'm going to ask you to do this and there's no pressure in this because you have the honor of deciding when you're going to do this. That's what Moses said. I say to you, you have the honor of deciding it. I don't have the honor. God doesn't even have the honor. You have the honor. But how you decide will determine your eternal destiny. When I say to accept Christ, let me make it plain again. I mean Christ and Christ. I mean Christ and Christ's word. I mean Christ and the Bible. I mean Christ and his commandments. I mean everything 
the Christ stands for. I'm not talking about a Christ who is robbed of his crown and robbed of his glory. I'm talking about a Christ who is Lord of heaven and earth and who is possessor of his truth and your souls. When you came in today, you received two cards. I would like you now, please, to take out the cards. As you came in today, and if you didn't get a card, ushers, please be prepared to pass them out. If anybody got in without a card, I want you all to take the card. And I wish, please, that no person would move. I want to ask you, unless you're an usher or an usherette, please not to move. I ask you that with sincerity and courtesy. Please, do not move. If there's anybody who needs a card, please raise your hand. There's a lady here. I think she got one. Anybody else? There's a gentleman here. There's a gentleman down the front. Please, ushers. There's a gentleman here. Gentleman over there. Is there anybody else? Somebody down the front? And there are people here with cards. Now, this is not going to be an appeal to put you under pressure and to tell all sorts of stories to move you. I want you to do it from your head as well as your heart. You and I have had the privilege of knowing truth. It is now time to decide for truth. Next Sabbath in this church, I will be as open with you as I know how, because that's how I operate. And the more you get to know me, I think you'll find it is so. We're going to have a baptism next Sabbath. Who should be baptized? The person who has found Christ, the person who maybe was following Christ at a distance, but now he's found Christ in new revelations of truth. I want to make an appeal for the whole truth of God, including God's commandments and the Sabbath, the seal of the living God. I'm making this appeal. This is an appeal for Jesus, Jesus as Savior, and Jesus as Lord. Many people want him as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord. I want him today as Savior, and I want him as the master of my life.